The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. You're watching Squawkbox. The headlines. The ECB ramps up its battle against inflation, with policymakers deciding whether to announce a record 75 basis point hike today amid spiking energy prices. Wall Street rallies and crude rebounds as the Fed's Lael Brainard says the uh, central bank needs to hold its nerve in its fight against inflation. Dollar strength continuing with the greenback at a 24-year high versus the yen. Whilst the UK Prime Minister Liz Truss draws parallels to Margaret Thatcher, apparently, as sterling falls to its lowest level since 1985. And the EU proposes a price cap on Russian gas as part of a package of measures to combat the energy crisis, with Commission President Ursula von der Leyen accusing the Kremlin of weaponizing energy supplies. We are facing an extraordinary situation, not only because Russia is an unreliable supplier, as we have witnessed over the last days, weeks, months, but also because Russia is actively manipulating the gas market. We aim at lowering the costs of gas, and therefore we will propose a price cap on Russian gas. Of course, the objective is here very clear. We all know that our sanctions are deeply grinding into the Russian economy with a heavy negative impact. But Putin is partially buffering through fossil fuel revenues. So here the objective is we must cut Russia's revenues, which Putin uses to finance his atrocious war in Ukraine. Also in the headlines, Apple unveils a slew of new products and upgrades, including the new iPhone 14 but surprises the market by keeping prices flat despite rising cost pressures. So, uh, welcome to the programme this morning. Uh, So you remember how this goes. Uh, Europe has a different kind of inflation. It doesn't need the central bank to react in quite the same way until in fact Europe does have the same kind of inflation and in fact the central bank does need to react in exactly the same way that we've seen the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England react. I'm maybe being a little unfair to the European Central Bank this morning but of course that is the headline story. The ECB is expected now to hike interest rates by an unprecedented 75 basis points today. I have to say not everybody in the market agrees that we will go with 75 basis points but there is a little coalescing around that view. This, of course, amid hawkish comments from its governing council with uh, Isabel Schnabel saying it needs to act forcefully. Well, Eurozone inflation is at a record high. Its currency is is at a multi-decade low. And final second quarter GDP surprised 
to the upside. So it's quite a complicated mix of data and information that our central bankers are having to work with. Well, usually this would give the green light for a significant hike. But as I say, it's not necessarily a done deal with the bloc facing an unprecedented energy crisis driving output down and gas prices have surged more than 200 percent on the year leaving the ecb in this difficult catch-22 situation it obviously needs to act to shore up the euro and reduce inflation but higher energy costs threaten a recession and any major moves could make that worse and of course one thing we do know about the ECB, and it was a point terrifically made by uh, our ING guest in the programme that precedes this, Capital Connections, that ultimately the ECB is all about compromise. And when you've got so many members that make up the Eurozone grouping, that have economies that are structured differently and are operating at different speeds, you have to come up with one number, one move in interest rates that will work for all of them, which is why I think ING is going with 50 basis points rather than 75 basis points. Let's just show you where we are across the uh, gamut in terms of Eurozone sovereign debt. As you can see, the Italian yield, which we always focus on very closely, and that spread to the Bund, currently at 3.832%. Not quite the stage where the alarms start to ring here, but obviously the market is keeping a very close eye on the spread, just to see how much pressure the market is going to put on the ECB and the governing council, whether it is going to challenge the central bank to demonstrate that it can keep yields narrow. Uh, Euro crosses then, let's have a look at the Euro. Of course, the every time, you know, my, my colleagues here have done the same uh, interview, but I'll just um, remind you every time I've talked to anybody at the European Central Bank and you've asked them that question about what level do you think the euro should be trading at they always give you that knowing nod and smile and say well of course we don't target a level for the euro but they are aware of the inflationary consequences of a much weaker currency and inevitably there will be some on the governing council who know or hope that a significant jump in interest rates at the eurozone level will provide a little bit of spine for the euro which alongside sterling of course has only declined over recent sessions so quick snapshot on where we are um, obviously uh, just below that uh, parity level as far as euro dollar is concerned and, and the euro just on the front foot here against sterling and against the yen steve France's economy is set to flatline by the end of the year, according to a forecast by the country's official statistics agency, ANSE, which has revised its quarterly growth figures down. But it says Europe's second largest economy will still eke out a 2.6% growth for the year, an upward revision of its June outlook. Unicredit CEO Andrea Ossel and Deutsche Bank CEO Christian Saving made their own calls on where the European economy is headed, speaking at the Handelsblatt Banking Summit in Frankfurt. Obviously, challenging environment. We all expect a recession. I think the big debate is how deep. Currently, the indicators we have is for a recession that is not that deep and that bounces back after 24. 
we will no longer be able to avert a recession in Germany. Yet we believe that our economy is resilient enough to cope well with this recession, provided the central banks act quickly and decisively now. But the longer inflation remains high, the greater the strain and the higher the potential for social conflict. Uh, so let me just pick up off the back of that then. So the one thing I think I, I didn't uh, mention or, or didn't go into uh, very deeply here is, of course, the trend in inflation. Uh, and we popped it up on the wall here. And as you can see, um, Eurozone inflation, 9.7% here. And, and the problem is that I think with this spike in energy prices, um, nobody within the uh, orbit of the European Central Bank or, or indeed the economists really has a very clear picture as to whether we are topping out or not here. So I guess the question is, uh, whether we get 50 or 75 at this point, do we then ultimately get another 50 or 75 at the consecutive uh, ECB meeting? Because I think increasingly the market is having to focus on terminal rates now and what ultimately the terminal rate looks like and what that now means for how many quarters of recession we may get within the Eurozone. Um I think you graphically made a lot of very good points at the wall there as well. Look, um, the Eurozone inflation is 9.7%. There is nothing hawkish. And I, I, I keep trying to say this to people, but I, I keep getting shouted down by the policymakers and the experts who think that actually having a 0.75% absolute raise at the ECB is hawkish. Then I don't know what planet they are on. There is nothing hawkish in the absolute level of 9.7% inflation and 0.75% interest rates. There is nothing hawkish about that whatsoever. Your real interest rates are stunningly negative to great historic proportions. Now, is inflation in the Eurozone going to come down? We all hope so. We think it may well do. We've seen a big decline in the price of oil products, not so much in the price of gas products, which remain high because of a whole set of specific reasons. So there is nothing hawkish about this. It is more hawkish than zero. It is more hawkish than negative 0.5. But let's just get that on the table. Mm. So what is why is Europe not hawkish? It's not hawkish because we are being sent into recession by an economic war on the back of a hot war in Ukraine, because we have energy problems that the Russians don't have. We also have um, debt problems that the Americans don't have, and we also have an energy crisis that the Americans don't have. The Americans at $5 gasoline thought they had a problem for domestic consumers. They don't, compared with the Europeans. At $3.70, which is where we're roughly at now, yes, things are a lot better for them as well. But the Americans have a vast amount of independence when it comes to energy. They have a vast amount of supply which they can bring on tap if they invest in Shell, if they invest in Shell and carry on doing so. And if the oil producers get the right signals from a Biden government, let's be honest about it, that has oscillated quite a lot on that. So we have three crises in Europe that um, are actually are about interest rates as much as anything else, rather than about inflation. It's the energy crisis, it's the debt crisis, uh, and of course it's the political crisis as well, which we have in spades in countries such as Italy. Yeah, just to pick up on that point, I see two very clear opportunities for the ECB to get it wrong. The first one, of course, on inflation, as we tackle very high rates here, you want to ensure that you entrench expectations, and I think the focus too is on the core, which is above 4%, so you're getting a widening out of those inflation pressures, so very keen to get ahead of that story now at this point, I think, for the ECB, like other central banks. The other point is the second opportunity to get it wrong here in Europe is around the debt crisis because you have had uh, a lot of member countries now that have enjoyed lower rates for a period of time. They've had growth as well. The likes of Greece and Italy, two countries, have done particularly well in this phase. But if you start to uh, tighten rates too much for these uh, two countries, 
very high debt levels, it impacts the growth rate. And of course, you've mentioned the political story that's in the backdrop too for these nations. So you could have markets again moving against these two particular countries, which would sow the seeds potentially down the line of some other form of crisis, just as you had sort of green shoots emerging for both of these countries. So two very big opportunities to get it wrong. Uh, so I think this is where the ECB needs to be cautious at this stage. Just a final point, Jeff, around um, the terminal rate. There's a wide range for me in the, the level that some see the neutral rate at. I mean, we've heard, what, 1% to 2%. In this type of world, that is a wide range, If you, particularly if you move out 25 basis points towards the end of the cycle. Uh, is it 1%? Is it 2%? If it's 2%, well, that suggests there's still a lot of territory left for the ECB to move on. If it's 1%, with, after a 75 basis point hike, if we get it, that leaves, what, one move and then you're suddenly in tightening territory? For, for viewers of ours who are watching who don't understand the difference between core and headline, I have great sympathy for them because actually there are all of our viewers, whether you are the richest person in the world or whether you are just someone who just flicked onto CNBC and doesn't know anything about finance, you all experience headline inflation. You do not experience core. And I think you make a very important point about core being 4.3% to netta, which is over double over double the target of the ECB. Good morning, Annetta. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well, and you? Yeah, I'm uh, tickety-boo, as they say. I'm actually very, very well. All the better for seeing you and waiting with bated breath to hear what you have to say. Well, I'm actually joined by Fritzi Kula-Geib, who is the chief economist of KFW, to discuss what we're expecting from the ECB today. So good morning, Fritzi. Thank you very much for joining us so early today. So what are your expectations for today's meeting? Yeah, thank you very much. We are in difficult times, high inflation readings, 9.1% in the euro area, 88 in Germany. Pressure is up for the ECB to act. I expect a 75 basis point increase of interest rates today. And um, when uh, we look at the discussion, what are you expecting from the level of yeah, division inside the governing council? Because there are clearly those who probably would say 50 basis points are enough, given the risk of fragmentation, higher yield. So what, what is your sense of division in the governing council? I think it will be, again, a difficult discussion. Yet I, I also think that with the signals that we are seeing from the US that is continuing with a stiff, strengthening, tightening course, we will see have higher pressure even in Europe to also move 75 basis points. It's true that the market actually is divided. If you look into predictions, they are at 65 basis points, meaning everyone is between 50 or 75 basis points. I think this also reflects the situation in the governing council of the ECB. Do you think the, the, the ECB still thinks about uh, this policy mistake uh, like many years ago, which just came ahead of the sovereign debt crisis? Because there are some commentators who are suggesting now as well that a 75 hike could also mean that yields are going to rise. Well, I think that the trade-offs trade are, are very tricky at the moment. There is also the risk that you do too little now and that inflation will rise further. It's a fact that inflation expectations are slowly creeping up. They are close to 2% for the euro area. They lie at 2.2%, lower than in the US, yet they are continuing to increase. So uh, I am pretty convinced also reading the signals from 
uh, late recent statements by ECB representatives that they are going a bit stronger at this meeting. Also, I think with business cycle weakening in Europe, it's a window to move now and it will be more difficult down the line when economic, the economic situation is becoming more challenging to do bigger steps. So in light of the high inflation readings and this timing aspect, I do expect them to in the end go for 75 basis points this time. It's quite clear that we are probably getting a recession here in the euro area unless Putin is changing his mind to send us gas over the winter period. So are you expecting that recession to moderate the inflation rate uh, by itself a little bit? Yes, yeah, certainly the game of cat and mouse that Russia has been playing is having a big role. For now the mouse is dead, no gas flowing. There could be a resurrection in a couple of weeks, but I expect that would be with low volume of gas flowing through the pipelines. And certainly this uh, stop of gas provision is weakening the economic situation in Germany uh, in, and also in the Eurozone. We have downward revised our growth projections for Germany altogether, irrespective of the outcome of this uh, cat and mouse game. Uh, but certainly, if there is a stop now, this would lead to a recession, depending on how much rationing, in particular an in industry, would be required. This could be mild or stronger. This is very difficult to, in the end, predict right now. But would you say that recession will also um, moderate I inflation and like help the ECB um, by pushing prices lower again? I do think so. Uh, if that's the case, of course, it then depends on the the um, strength of the different effects. You know? Because right now, of course, through the hike in energy prices, we do see those high inflation readings. The price increases in the energy market still make up more than half of the price increases uh, in consumer prices. These pressures are broadening, you know? so they are reaching also demand side. And of course, with economic activity weakening, those demand side effects will become more relevant for the inflation readings. We expect this to happen in the course of next year. Thank you very much, Fritzi. So guys, with that, back over to you, Jeff. All right, terrific, Annetta. Thank you very much indeed for that, and thanks for your persistence in spite of the rotten weather, because uh, it's coming through loud and clear. It's obviously a very wet day in Frankfurt this morning, isn't Welcome it? Welcome, though, isn't it, as we talk about a little bit of rainfall. Well, the farmers will be happy, that's <laughs> for sure. Uh, don't miss our special coverage, then, of the European Central Bank decision. Later today, decision time is at 1400 Central European time. In the meantime, you can find more of Annetta's coverage of the issues facing the ECB on the CNBC website. 
Meantime, to another central bank, the Federal Reserve, as Vice Chair Lel Brainerd says the central bank will raise rates to restrictive levels and keep them there until inflation is under control, suggesting another 75 basis point hike could be coming at this month's meeting. Her comments come as notes from the Federal Reserve's latest Beige Book report showed that the outlook for economic growth remained generally weak, adding it expects further softening of demand over the next 6 to 12 months. Yeah, and I think that's the point why the market uh, basically decided it's had a lot of doom and gloom for a few days, trying a bit of a rally. Of course, in any bear market, you will see rallies, or maybe we are near the bottom, actually, as a lot of people are, are trying to say to us at the moment as well. NASDAQ put on 2% yesterday, breaking a seven-day losing streak. S&P 500 was up 1.8%, the Dow up 1.4%. Every single sector was in positive territory, except energy. And energy was absolutely extraordinary yesterday as well. Some of the moves we saw on the oil price, given the fact that we've just had hawkish language coming out from the uh, oil cartel OPEC+. Plus. Treasuries were interesting as well. The yield has come off its highest levels. You recall this time yesterday, we were looking around about 3.5% along the curve. We've just seen the 10-year dip to 3.2, but uh, we've lost the, the 0.5 handle uh, across the curve, 3.3 on the five-year, uh, same on the 30-year as well. Dollar crosses, which we've been looking at, and Jeff had a good look at earlier on as well once again quite extraordinary historic levels here as well we have to go back to 1985 uh, to um, the levels we saw yesterday on sterling 114 and a tiny bit of change uh, was where we got down to euro mounting a bit of a recovery but still trading at parity but it's the yen i think which remains under the most pressure absolutely no sign yet unless you've seen it ladies and gentlemen i haven't uh, from the boj that there is going to be anything other the more dovish accommodation from uh, the authorities over in Japan. Let's have a look at the energy markets. I think it's extraordinary. I said to you and with Karen um, about a week or so ago before I went off to Italy that I thought it was extraordinary uh, the language we were hearing. That was before, of course, we got that very mild cut from OPEC. The language we were hearing from the Saudi energy minister, His Royal Highness Abdulaziz bin Salman, at a time when there is such concern about where supply is coming from. We have a war in Europe, a major war in Europe, which because of the ramifications for the G7 and the West as well, could potentially take a vast amount of Russian barrels off the table. And yet we are still trading down aggressively from our highs. You've got to remember the high for Brent, 125, 130 in that range uh, from this year as well. We are now trading dramatically lower than where we were before the war started on February 24, which is testing a lot of the bulls out there. And a lot of them are getting quite testy, aren't they? Uh, and saying that the market's broken. The market doesn't appear to be broken to me. It is factoring in uh, concern about the demand side of the equation. But some of those hedge funds are long. They've got to blame someone, haven't they? Let's have a look at the Asian indices now and where they are currently trading as well. Again, we've got some positivity on the ASX 200. Same story uh, with the Nikkei up 2.3%. Hang Seng and Shanghai Composite are mildly easier, Karen. Steve, coming up on the show, new UK Prime Minister Liz Truss gets ready to announce her energy plan as sterling hits a 37-year low.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. The EU will propose a price cap on Russian gas. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said the bloc would also impose restrictions on electricity use and limit revenues of non-gas power generators. Russia's President Putin has warned retaliation if price caps are imposed, including a complete stop of energy supplies to Europe. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen urged for solidarity and European oil and gas companies uh, from those companies, saying that Russia's revenues must be cut. We are facing an extraordinary situation not only because Russia is an unreliable supplier, as we have witnessed over the last days, weeks, months, but also because Russia is actively manipulating the gas market. We aim at lowering the costs of gas. And therefore, we will propose a price cap on Russian gas. Of course, the objective is here very clear. We all know that our sanctions are deeply grinding into the Russian economy with a heavy negative impact. But Putin is partially buffering through fossil fuel revenues. So here the objective is we must cut Russia's revenues, which Putin uses to finance his atrocious war in Ukraine. Meanwhile, here in the UK, Prime Minister Liz Truss is expected to confirm details of her plan to tackle energy costs today, expected to effectively freeze household bills at current levels and offer support to businesses. According to Reuters, the proposal could add over £100 billion to the country's borrowing. Truss has ruled out any further windfall tax on energy firms, telling Parliament it would put companies off investing in the UK. And Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey told the Treasury Committee of UK MPs that President Putin was responsible for rising cost pressures in the UK. We can't control what Vladimir Putin does. Um, let's, be, let's be blunt about it. Um, what we can and must and will control is bringing inflation back to target as a consequence of whatever does go on. Um, and and there's, no, there's no question about that. We will do that. And let me be clear, clear. We will stay the course to do that. Sterling has hit its lowest level against the dollar since 1985. I mentioned this the other day that there was uh, very little underpinning the currency if we got through uh, levels around the 114 handle. Uh, the 1985 level, that of course was when Margaret Thatcher was the country's Prime Minister, hitting just over $1.14. Investors are waiting for Liz Truss's policy announcements amid the highest level of inflation in any G7 country and fears of a looming recession. But, um, you know, you start to test the low end of the range and then uh, I think uh, many trade on the back of that and you suddenly lose the support level. So the question is if there's anything to arrest the decline now as we talk about concerns around debt levels. Um, I think the problem is that the, um, the market's 
basically have turned against sterling, haven't they? they? They've turned against the UK economy and they've turned against sterling. And I think you saw this happen through the month of August effectively, that I think the um, international investment community took a look at the UK and thought this is a significant accident waiting to happen. We had policy drift as a result of the political machinations that were taking place. And I still think that, um, as we were discussing yesterday, the, the bar of expectations is set incredibly low. What was interesting is uh, I was looking at, at financial Twitter a little bit yesterday, and it was quite surprising the number of uh, people that seemed to be saying, actually, the um, expectations are so low that I think there is a contra argument for actually going long sterling at this level and long the FTSE, because how bad can it actually be? Well, uh, hats off to you, very brave. Go and do that if you think that you have an opportunity here and you see the chance for a turnaround and arguably at this level on sterling, why not? What further downside potential is there ultimately? But um, Capital Economics effectively described this latest uh, freezing plan as a sticking plaster for the economy. Um, it goes against the rub of what we've already heard from uh, Truss when she's talked about not wanting to fuel handouts to those who are struggling in the economy. This is all about self-reliance. But ultimately in this situation, given that a lot of businesses were likely to go to the wall with these raised prices, maybe in the interim, it does make sense for the government to provide some form of sticking plaster in the interim to get us through this period. Because the other interesting aspect to this that Capital Economics also pointed out is that this could get us through the recession uh, and, uh, uh, and let's have a more shallow recession because of this, but also ultimately it could bring down headline inflation because it's energy focused. Yeah, interesting. Um, we have a big trade deficit um, which is going to be painful for the United Kingdom with this uh, price of sterling, but I guess there is some hackneyed view out there and I'm sure we'll start hearing it from supporters of the government's policy uh, that well, this will better our terms of trade for our exporters and make us more of a, a profitable exporting nation. Well, history suggests that doesn't actually happen during periods of sterling devaluation as well. So you've got that side of the equation as well. I was actually going to broaden it out just a little bit and say this isn't just about the pound as well. This is about a load of foreign exchange traders who have seen a bounteous trade this year going long the dollar against a whole host of currencies across the world, notably the Japanese yen as well. And I just think they're pushing at a door, but actually they're pushing at an open door and it's actually going rather well for them and there's no resistance because there is no talk at all in any political or any monetary circles in the United Kingdom about defending the pound. Now when you try and go up against the SMB and the Swiss you run into a wall of money saying thou shall not pass uh, in kind of Gandalf-esque yeah, fashion. Like yeah you like that. Whereas if you go get Mr Bailey and as I say he's probably just opening the door saying yep yeah, no problem with us no problem with the government as well. Mr Bailey of course is very concerned this is the governor of the Bank of England uh, about perhaps um, what may be coming down the pipe from Liz Truss in terms of the independence uh, of the central bank. So you're not going to see too much that flies in the face of the government at the moment because the central bank is looking after its position. I was debating in my own head yesterday uh, the difference in policies you know whether you go in and intervene in the market tackle inflation we're talking 
talking theoretically around three to four basis points or three to four percent rather coming off the inflation rate. And that's significant. I mean, the headlines keep on moving the inflation worst case scenario even higher. I mean, I saw 22 percent yesterday. We we're at 15 percent earlier in the day. And we got to 22 percent by the end of the day in terms of worst case expectations. And you can imagine what that level would look like for most people. It's incredible. It's eye watering. I mean, having to tackle that would seemingly be a very big policy move. One option is you tackle it and do something. The other option, of course, means you add to the debt profile. And we're talking in the numbers 100 billion roughly. Does it matter? I mean, we've been through periods of history where we've added to debt load and it doesn't matter because you've had very low interest rates and everybody else is doing the same thing. So you're in the same club of countries with the same types of policies, with the same mounting debt loads. But this time round, we'd be talking about Europe being in the mix of increasing debt loads as well. Uh, but who else? The Americans, perhaps not necessarily at this point. So it does create some differentiation. Asian nations, question mark. So I think the problem here is that we may not be in the same club as everyone. If we are, then it may be fine. But if we're not, then that's when the problem starts. We're in the same club, aren't we? I mean, one of my favourite pieces of data on a quarterly basis, you all know, is the IIF debt monitor as well. And I think on on an absolute level, um, without the growth, maybe even a relative level as well, we have some of the highest levels in the history of mankind on global debt whether it's SOEs, whether it's households, whether it's corporations, whether it's the, the aforementioned governments as well. So I, I think we're in a, uh, a club where a lot of the Western nations are topping out at enormous debt levels historically. But I guess the real, real worry for me is the emerging market increase in debt in countries such as China as well. They're becoming very Western very quickly. It's funny, isn't it? Um, I mean, you know, typically you'd roll out the old Groucho Marx line about this being a club that you don't actually want to be a member of, really. But the reality is, if you look at developed market uh, sovereigns, we are now at highs of yields that we haven't seen for an incredibly long time. And if you, if you look at something like the Bloomberg Global Bond Index, you've actually seen a 20% decline in that index from the peak. So there's an awful lot of pain being experienced uh, among bond market investors at the moment. And you do ask yourself, how much patience do they have to continue to fund governments that only seem to want to spend money? They don't want to save it. But I just wanted to make a a slightly different point here. Look, we focus a lot on the macro and we get very excited about some of these big moves. For a lot of our investing audience, they'll be very focused maybe on just one or two stocks, one or two sectors, or how they can actually make money from this. And I thought it was interesting, this whole announcement around the the energy cap story, what it's done for some of the uh, retailers in the UK and some of the food stocks. And it's interesting, you've had a little bit of a bounce, uh, the likes of uh, a JD Weatherspoon or a Marks & Spencer or a Domino's. Uh, Some of these businesses, it doesn't quite show up on that longer term chart here, but if we went to something like a a five-day chart or a three-day chart, you'd actually see that little tick up, which shows you that actually there are a few people out there who are thinking, I may have a chance to to make a little bit of a quick buck here if this energy freeze goes in, because again, expectations were incredibly low for this sector being able to weather the storm of higher prices. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.